Um, So Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 45, says this. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And we are excited. Uh, We mark off this day in the Christian church culture to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. To many, today is is just a holiday. It's a uh, first of spring kind of a holiday. It's a uh, get together with the family and celebrate. And those are good things that we should do. But as believers... We set this time aside, not by any command of Scripture, but just because we we believe that we can, to say, you are good and you raised Christ from the dead. And that has an effect in our lives. And so we pray as we come to the Scriptures, as we come to your Word, Father, we pray that we would come with open hearts, that we would be ready and excited and willing to hear about Jesus. And Lord, not to hear it as a story that has no effect on our lives, but to hear it as something which is vital and important and relevant to our lives today. We pray that you would speak to our hearts now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, Four times I have been blessed to become a father. Uh, the event in the hospital, you know, the, the being there, the, uh, the sights and the sounds, watching the, the child enter into the world. And, uh, and it, it can be vivid as a younger father. It, it was a bit overwhelming, uh, you know, the, what, what is going on here, the, just the weight of the circumstances uh, bearing down on me. And, uh, and I would get so excited that... Um, that, that, that all of the details except the arrival would, would just kind of get pushed out of my mind. Um, I, I, would, I would call my mom or my dad, and they would ask questions like, uh, well, how long is he? How much does he weigh? And 
and I'm like, I got no idea. You know, I know his name. I think the first seven or eight months that, that Hank was in the world, I didn't even know his birthday. You know, it's just like, I don't know, you know, one day I'll know, and I know it now, you know, and I've known it. Uh, but, but, but it was just so exciting to be a dad and to have this little boy. This is, this is little Sam. This is little Jack, this is little, little Max, and this is little Hank. That, that all the other details just became irrelevant and unimportant. Um, uh, yesterday, uh, Brother Bruce uh, messaged and said, I have become a grandfather for the 11th time, right? No details, right? You know, no, no measurements, no nothing. Why? Because this is not, the, like, the important thing is that the baby's here, Right? You know, all the other details, like everything's good, everybody's okay, you know. Um, Now, when we think about the Gospels, um, an amazing thing happens on Resurrection Sunday. Incredible, amazing things happen Um, in addition to the resurrection. but, But because they are not the central thing, the main thing, the important thing, Matthew just rolls through the story and doesn't even pay attention to them, really. He tells us these wild things. So I was, I was thinking, what am I gonna, what am I gonna talk about on Easter Sunday? The resurrection? Yeah, you know that's the that's the main event. We're gonna celebrate Jesus. But but what's a passage that maybe doesn't get talked about very much? So I, I settled and I said, we're gonna go to Matthew 27 because there's some cool stuff happens here. Um, so so let's just slow down and think about the setting of resurrection morning. Jesus was falsely accused. The religious leaders conspired against him, found one in his inner circle who would take money and betray him. He was deserted by all of his friends and then falsely tried. He was brutally beaten within an inch of his life, it seems. And, and, and it must have been sheer agony to go to the cross. He was crucified between thieves. He was numbered, the Bible says, among transgressors. Uh, he who never sinned was put in between two sinners, and they mocked him. Look at verse 40 of chapter 27, if you've got your Bible still open, which would be good, because we're going to keep looking at the text. Everything I say this morning is going to come right from there. And you might say, is that in the Bible? It's right there. Um, so so let's, let's look there. They, they mocked him, and they said, you who would dro- destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. The irony of what they're saying here. They say, if you are the Son of God, Come down off the cross. And the reader knows, we know today, that if he had come down from the cross, that that the benefits that that come to us because of of the resurrection and death of Christ would not have come. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. That is the one thing he refuses to do. The the chief priests with the scribes, they mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. They're, They're seeing that as his weakness, but that is his strength, isn't it? That he, he so sees no need. He has no desire to save himself. He's going to perish that he might save others. That's his, his goal and his desire. He trusts in God, they mock him. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Did God deliver Jesus from the cross? No. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21... For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, for our sake, God the Father treated Jesus, his perfect son, a a perfect man, dwelling together in, in, in some kind of amazing mystery that we don't understand beyond being able to say he's fully God and fully man. Um, he, God treated him as if he was sin, poured all the sins of the world on him, made him sin. He was perfect. He knew no sin. He'd never sinned. And why did God do that? So that in Christ, believing in Christ and being united with him by faith, we could become the very righteousness of God. Jesus takes our sin that we might have his righteousness. That's the good news of the cross. He saved others. He cannot save himself. That's exactly right. He refuses to save himself, that he might save all those whom he's calling to himself. And as he gives up his spirit, some amazing things happen. First, it says that darkness covers the, the environment uh, as if to, to shield um, what's going on on the cross uh, from, from the whole world. The darkness descends so that, so that the Father and the Son perhaps can have this time together. Or perhaps it's to communicate that, that the frown of God, the anger of God is bearing down on this scene right here. Not on those who are crucifying Jesus. Not on those who rejected him, but on Jesus himself, crushing him, that sins might be paid for. Jesus gives a loud cry. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he cries again and and gives up his spirit. Now at this time, four things happen, okay? And, and, And I think that they're there to... To, to set the tone for us. Now, I believe they really happened, but, but the way that Matthew writes them, it's just, he's not going to stop and explain what these things mean. He's just, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, so that we can, we can feel the impact of what's happened on the cross. First, it says in verse 27, uh, verse 51, sorry, chapter 27, verse 51, the first section there, it says that the temple curtain was torn. Verse 51 says, Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God veiled himself in the tabernacle when he came down to dwell with men and women in, uh, in, in the, the time of the Exodus. They built the, the tabernacle. God said that he would dwell among them, but they were a sinful people. And so God couldn't be with them out in the open. He came down in glory on the Ark of the Covenant. He lived in a place called the Holy of Holies inside of this tent called the tabernacle. And that was the separation between God and men. The high priest would go into the holy place in there, all dressed up and consecrated and perfect. And and he would go in there, Exodus 28, 35, dressed like that, it says, so so that he could go in and then come out and not die. Because he is sinful and God is utterly and completely holy. Isaiah 45, verse 15 says this, Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel. The Savior. God hides himself in that holy of holies. But the scriptures tell us that when Jesus died, the temple curtain was torn in two. Now, how was it torn? It says from top to bottom, right? If a man were standing at the bottom saying, enough of this curtain, away with it, right? This big, thick curtain, you have to be super strong, you have to grab it, you have to tear it, but it would rip from bottom to top, right? 
So the top to, to bottom is, is God rending that veil and opening the way. Who's, who saw this? Matthew doesn't say. Probably priests. Um, how, how did the word spread? Was it like a whisper campaign? Or, or was there a way that, that people would, would get into that environment somehow and see it? And then and people were like, um, they're ordering a new curtain for the, for the temple. You know, like, well, why? Well, it ripped the other day. Well, what do you mean? Well, it ripped from top to bottom. How did it spread? We don't know. Matthew doesn't tell us. He, he doesn't say. Um, these are the kind of things we want to know about, right? We're like, give us more details about that. Nope. Matthew's moving on. But, but the meaning of the temple curtain is this, that, that the death of Christ taking sin away means that the Holy Spirit can come out and dwell in men. That, that, that sin being removed, that God can make his dwelling with men. On the first day of the church, on the, on the birthday of the church, Acts 2.32, Peter says that Jesus was raised up by God and that, and that the, that the 11 um, apostles were witnesses of that. Then he says this in verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. That's where Jesus dwells and lives in heaven at the right hand of God. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. God doesn't live in temples anymore. He lives in the hearts, the, the emotional lives, the, the beings, the souls of believers. Why? Because Jesus has removed the barrier by his death. The next thing that happens is this. Now, Matthew doesn't say any of that, right? He, Matthew's just like, and the temple to curtain was torn. You know, we're, it's like we're on the phone and we're like, well, how, how much does the baby weigh? And the dad's like, I don't know, right? Matthew's just like, this happened and this happened. Um, I'm not going to get into those details. Next thing that happens is there's an earthquake. It says the earth shook and rocks were split. How, how long did the earthquake last? You know, which rocks and where? You know, how, how, what happened? Um, if you've ever felt an earthquake, you, you know what it feels like, right? You know it's not just like the, the feeling of, of um, if you're, if you're uh, sitting in a, uh, in, in a room and a big truck drives by, you know, you can kind of feel the vibration on a plate glass window or something, and you're like, okay, that's a truck. But, but um, if you've ever been sitting, I was sitting in my office, I think it was about a year and a half ago when that, when that earthquake took place, and it was just like, you just kind of felt like the earth is moving, it's not stopping, something's going on, and it was, it was a minor earthquake. I'm not saying I'm an earthquake survivor, right? You know? um, <laughs> but you just kind of know what it feels like. To have, to have the ground moving underneath you. Um, this was a, an earthquake. It shook the ground. And, and so they're standing there as Jesus is dying and the earth is, is shaking and rocks are, are, are cracking. Earthquakes speak. Did you know that? It, they indicate the presence and, and power of God. They indicate the, the either the the, the life of, of this perfect man going away, dying, or the anger of God at, at, the, at the event. But they, but they communicate that something incredibly powerful is happening. Ezekiel 3.12 says that the Spirit of God lifted Ezekiel up and he heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. 
Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. That's what the earthquake says to Ezekiel. The earthquake here is saying something about the power and presence of God. What is it saying? We don't know. Matthew doesn't, doesn't write it down. He just moves on. Next thing. Then it says this in 2752. The tombs also were opened. They closed tombs with rocks, right? Rocks are split. So here, tombs are opening up. Um, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. That's a strange sentence, isn't it? The bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Well, what does that mean? What's going on here? Matthew doesn't tell us a whole lot of stuff. Again, if you go back to Ezekiel, though, um, we, we, can, we can see a connection. Uh, the, the prophet says um, that he was, he was prophesying. He's actually preaching to bones here, and the bones rattle, and they come together. And God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. Is that what Matthew is Matthew saying? Go back to Ezekiel 37 and look at that. Uh, we, don't, we don't know. He doesn't tell us. He's, he's focusing on, 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 on the death of Jesus here. But think about this. The tombs are opened when Jesus dies. When he dies, tombs are broken open. Tombs are places where we leave those whom we love behind. And they, they, they don't get opened back up, generally. They, they, you, never, you never go back in the same way. You, you, you leave your loved one there. But, but the message of the gospel, the implications of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 54, the Bible says that death is swallowed up in victory. That death is swallowed up in victory. That, that when, when Jesus is raised, that the death of believers dies. Hebrews 2.14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, these are the, the future children of God, he, that's Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He, he took on flesh and blood so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. We don't, we don't like the idea of a devil. We don't like the idea of sin and judgment. We don't, we don't like the fact that people die. But, but it's a reality of the world. And in order for the devil to be dealt with and death to be dealt with, Jesus has to take on flesh and die. So why do the tombs open? I think it's a signal to us. Maybe, but Matthew doesn't really slow down and explain this. A signal to us that death is dead. That, that the sins of, of, of human beings have been put on Christ. And he dies. And because he dies for them, those sins are forgiven they're they're forgiven but listen this is important human beings need more than just forgiveness don't they we need more than just to be forgiven 
Now, maybe, maybe you think that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. Um, that, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound biblical or what I've been told. I've been told that I just need to trust in Jesus and my sins will be forgiven. Yes, that's true, but it's not enough. Okay? Just going to do a little, this is dangerous, we'll do a little math illustration here. Okay? Imagine a number line that, that, that over on this end has plus 10 and over here there's negative 10, right? And in the middle is zero. And I'm not, I'm not telling you, is it backwards? Yeah. Uh, let's do it this way. Okay. Okay. <laughs> plus 10's over here, negative 10's over here. It's the right way to me up here. Um, yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, the, the, the negative 10 is where we go when we sin, right? We, we sin against God. We, we refuse to obey his commandments. We refuse to do what he says, and we are drawn further and further away from perfection and righteousness. And so here we are at, at negative 10 with all of our sins upon ourselves, all of our wickedness, all the ways in which we refuse to obey God. He's, he's listed his commandments and we say, I will, I, I will not obey them. Or, or we, we say, I'm going to break those commandments because it feels better to do that, all right? I, I, I can't make my life work any other way without disobeying what God has to say. So here we are at negative 10. But this is what happens when Jesus dies. We receive forgiveness. We are brought up to zero. There is no sin to be held against us, right? But that doesn't take us where we need to go. The Bible says, who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? And then the Bible says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. One one who is righteous. One who is perfect. So, So listen to what happens here. It says in the passage that the tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, right? So, so, so the tombs are open and they come to life, but nothing significant of note happens yet, right? The, the graves are open, but, but, but there's not been any major event here yet. I mean, something crazy is going to happen in just a minute. But think about Romans 4, 24. It says this, that righteousness will be counted to us who believe in God, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. Okay? Jesus was was handed over and put on the cross for our sins against God. That's, that's, he went to the cross because we are at negative 10. And his crucifixion brings us up to zero. But look, listen to this. It says in Romans 4.25, he was delivered up for our trespasses, but he was raised for our justification. Isn't that interesting? Romans 5.10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Here I am, a negative 10. God is over there, he's my enemy. Right? Not because of his choice, but because of my choice. My choices, I'm alienated from God. Jesus dies, and now I'm reconciled. I'm brought near to God. But listen to what he says next. He says, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? When Jesus rises from the dead, he's raised, the Bible says, for our justification. That that God will say to us, not that, that you're a wretched sinner. That's not what, what God says. He, he says, I give you forgiveness because of the death of Jesus. But when, we're, when, when Jesus is raised, 
He's raised for a justification. And that's God saying, not only do I not count your sins against you, but I count you as having the perfect righteousness of my son. I count you equal to Jesus in the, 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 the spotlessness and perfection of your character. Me? You? Really? Yes. He was, he was delivered up for our trespasses because we were here. But, but he is raised so that we can be brought to this place. Positive ten. You know what positive ten is? That's where God lives. That's where, that's where Jesus lives. That's where if somebody says, how righteous are you? You're like, eh, you know. Like that, aren't, aren't, doesn't the scale have like Hitler on this end and Mother Teresa at like 9.5? And then, and then we're like, Jesus and God are over here, right? No, that's, that's not the way the scale works at all. No one's over here except Jesus. He's the only perfect human. And when he rises from the dead, we get his righteousness. Now look at what happens, because I, I think this one might be what Matthew is doing. It says, the tombs were open, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. But they don't come out of the tombs until after his resurrection. Isn't that bizarre? The, the moment that Jesus dies, the the graves open, and I'm not, I'm not exactly sure the timeline here, but is it, is it the moment that he dies that they're in their tombs and they're like, oh, I'm alive. <laughs> what, what, what's going on? Like, you know, I'm, I'm back. And then they're just like, I'm going to hang out here for three days, right? Or, or were there, was there no conscious thought? We, we don't, well, I'm like, Matthew. You are a tax collector. You, you are a precision kind of a guy. You count stuff. You write them. Give us the details. But he doesn't. Um, back in the day, uh, when, when, when I was a, a, a youth, um, MTV was like brand new and incredible, right? Remember, I want my MTV if you're from this generation. And, uh, and so music videos were were amazing, this, this new art form. And the video that defined all videos was Michael Jackson's Thriller. When it first came on, it was like the most amazing, they made this amazing movie. But then eventually it got to be like, oh, 25 minutes of Thriller again? Like we just did this the last hour. But, but uh, a boy and his girlfriend are on a date and they're and they're walking home and all of these zombies start coming out of their tombs and following them right and then when they notice them at like the height of the music they all start dancing you know like and, and they're this is not what's going on here in this passage the, the the these people were dead and in their tombs the bible uses the word saints to describe people who believe in jesus this means believers it's this, this word shows up at the beginning of every single New Testament letter written by Paul. He writes to the saints in Ephesus or to the saints in, uh, in, in Corinth. And so, so it means believers. But, so, it, so it could mean people who believed in Jesus during his lifetime, but it might mean ancients who believed and were raised. I mean, we, we don't know. Is this Daniel or... Uh, Haggai, Nehemiah, Simeon, who died at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, who believed in Jesus, even though uh, he was just a little baby and he didn't know what, what, to, what to believe. Why, why don't we know this? Matthew, who are these people? 
Here's who they are. They are those who were dead when Jesus died. But sins forgiven when he rises again, they are suddenly powerfully alive. This is not a zombie attack. You know, this is not people coming in and like, you know, wandering into houses and being like, feed me, I'm so hungry. You know, they, they show up in houses and says they appeared to many people. Who did they appear to? Right? Was it, did, did they go home? Like, uh, you know, I know last week you put me in the tomb, but I'm really alive again. You know, um, did, did sons and daughters appear to moms and dads or, or moms and dads appear to son and daughters? Did, did the guy who was telling his brother believe in Jesus and now this guy's on his deathbed, you know, he's, he's, gonna, he's going to expire just in a few hours. Did, did, did the, the, the deceased relative show up and say, believe, you know, we have no idea. Why don't we know? I think it's because it's not really that important. I think that's why we don't know. What we do need to know, and what is most important is this, that we are all on this escalator, right? We are all on this treadmill or people mover that's moving us from the moment of our, of our birth, when we are, are first uh, when we first receive our physical life, we, uh, we, we, have a, a, we have a need to realize that we are spiritually dead and separated from God. And that we need spiritual life because we're alienated from Him. And, and the moment of death is coming for each and every one of us, but it doesn't have to mean the end. It doesn't have to mean separation from God. It can mean life. And in this moment, we see a powerful, amazing story about the resurrection, the implications of the resurrection. Jesus dies and, and, and the tombs are opened. And then when he is raised, the dead come to life. This is what Jesus says about himself. John 10.10. 10. The thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep, the sheep are not healthy, living in great condition and need to be protected from their enemies in, in the analogy when you look at human beings. The sheep have no life in them at all. And, and the shepherd has to lay down his life so that they can have life. Jesus says this in John 10, 17. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. He speaks about about those who believe in him. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The resurrection means this. It means that those who put their faith and trust in Christ are truly, powerfully, spiritually alive. We don't, we don't see this with our physical eyes. We don't see the, the deadness spiritually of those around us who don't believe in Christ. Neither do we look around and see the spiritual aliveness of people. We, just, we see people walking We need to, by faith, believe what the scriptures say about our spiritual condition before God based on what we believe about Christ. 
We have this very visible picture of what happens when someone who believes is joined with Christ. Wonderful. So let's, let's bring it home, okay? Here's the fourth thing that happens. And I think that, that there are those who would say things like, why don't miracles happen today, okay? I think this is the most powerful miracle apart from the resurrection, okay? Um, the Bible says that the, that the human heart is desperately wicked and sick. Who can understand it? So let's look at uh, Matthew 27, verse 54. It says, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, um, there's a man in the movie The Passion. Um, He is one of those... uh, big thug guys in, in Roman armor who, who beat Jesus in that, that scene. My, my wife and I, um, we, the first time we saw this movie, we thought, like, we probably never need to see this again. Like, it was, it was that vivid and that powerful and overwhelming. Probably, probably don't need to watch this. Not that, it's, not, not that we're judging the movie or anything. It's just like, wow, that was graphic and vivid. Um, every now and again, when I, like, lose my lose my passion, or I lose my sense of, of what Jesus did for me, uh, I'll, I'll fire up the DVD and watch it. It's overwhelming again. There's this guy, one of the guys who beats Jesus. He has this savage, angry face. He enjoys what he's doing. He is violent. Um, at, at, at some point, this is not in the, the Bible. This is just creative license in the movie. The um, the, the officer who's over them as they're beating Jesus comes in and says, and says, stop it, stop it, you know? And they're, they're standing there. This, this man is panting and gasping for breath, and there's blood everywhere. He mocked Jesus, put the crown of thorns on his head. They led him to the hill. They crucified him. They mocked him some more. And I just I envision this guy in this scene. And then the earthquake hit. And, and the darkness came. And they, they watched the way Jesus conducted himself on the cross. And seeing all of that, they, they knew. They, they would learn that the curtain had been torn. They, they would learn perhaps that, some, that the dead had been, been raised and had appeared to some. But what hits them is that something amazing is happening here. That something important and powerful is, is happening here. And, and, and they would learn perhaps what Jesus' followers taught about him eventually. They, they see the death of Jesus. They might have learned of the, the, the resurrection and, and appearance of Jesus. And what is it that they take away from that? They were filled with awe. And the centurion and those who were with him said this, Truly this was the Son of God. We don't, we don't need to know all the details. Think about it. These guys standing there looking at Jesus having, having just died, they don't know all that's going to happen. They don't know the, the rest of the Bible. They don't know all the details. They just know that something powerful has happened in the death of Christ. Do you need to know all the details of everything that's going to happen in the rest of your life to say, I, I need... I need Christ's righteousness in order to survive judgment one day. 
I need Christ's righteousness in order to know that my entire life is, is lived as a beloved child of God. What, is, what does the Bible say in Ephesians 2, 4? It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins and trespasses, he raised us up and made us alive and sat us with Christ. That's important news. We don't need to know what will my life be like in 2017 and 18 and 19 and 20, like all of that. We don't need to know all that. Just as like Matthew doesn't feel the need to tell us all these details. He's saying these are the most important things. Have you seen the effects of Jesus' death in your world? Have you seen the effects of his resurrection in the world. I would say this, that curtain being torn in two changes, I believe, all of the way in which humanity worships God. Have you, have you seen the distinct quality of Christianity? Right? All of the religions are, are man fears God, man, man pacifies God with, with his offerings, God serving God, um, doing things for God to keep God off of their back. Christianity is God serves and gives you what you need. It gives you everything. And then out of gratitude, your life changes. It's not earned. It's, it's given. The curtain is torn in two, and the way that we relate to God changes. Do, do you feel the earthquake? Right? Have you, have, you, have you looked out at our world lately? Right? The, the world is in chaos as the values of, of Christianity retreat from the public square. And as they retreat from our public institutions and from our, our international dialogues. But if you look out in the world, there were no hospitals before Christianity. There, there, were no, um, uh, there, there was no um, system of adoption. There was enormous amounts of racism. All of these things are challenged by the gospel. Now, human beings being imperfect and having, having sinful hearts don't always take the gospel and apply it rightly. And so there are many, 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 many errors in application throughout church history. But where people get it right, where they say, what would God have us do in this situation? Let's just live out the, the good news of Jesus Christ and his teaching simply and serve and love. The world is transformed. Have you seen the dead living? Have you seen the changed lives of those who've had an encounter with Christ? who have put their faith and trust in him, and then their lives are different. Suddenly, their appetites can change. Their, their desires can change. Their values can change. And suddenly, their, their priorities change, and they, they want to serve others or, or not be so self-focused, or they, they apologize a little bit more. They, they, their lives are different. When we see these things, we need to ask ourselves, what will we do in relation to what we're seeing? This is what the centurion does. I think this is Matthew putting words on our lips. Do, do we look at the world around us? Do we look at the, the change? Do we look at the, the quality of Jesus' teaching? Do we look at the difference in people's lives and say, this is the effect of the Son of God in that person's life? 
Truly, He's the Son of God. And what do we do with it? How, how do we change? How do we, how do we devote our lives to it? We don't always know it when we believe, but, but God does the greatest miracle at that point, and that's the changing of the human heart. The, the raising of the human heart from the dead, giving the life of the Holy Spirit and placing it in there and, and giving that life new life and allowing that person to, to believe and, and to embrace and to be changed and transformed. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says this, and we're going we're gonna to close on this as we think about uh, the implications of the resurrection in our life. God has done good and wonderful things in the death and resurrection of Christ, and it's for us to say, yes, I, I believe it, I receive it, and I'm going to live in the light of all that's good that comes from it. Um, God has given us an, an amazing present in the resurrection. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, Paul says this, The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent is the flip side of believing. To believe is to say, I I embrace and delight in all that God is doing in Christ. And repenting is saying, I'm going to turn from all the wickedness that I've, I've embraced. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to turn in belief toward God and turn away from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and sinful things. He commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The resurrection from the dead is is good news for us because it means that God will give us the life that we need. He'll give us the righteousness that we need to survive judgment. But by raising Jesus from the dead, God has assured us that he will bring judgment one day. And so the question this morning to you is this. Are you in right fellowship with God? Have you put your faith and trust in the one who died for your sins? And, and who is raised that, that you might be viewed as pure and holy and righteous with His righteousness. And if you've done that, if, if you've, you've been a believer for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, is that what fills you with joy? Ask yourself, is this what, what fills me with delight? Does my, does my happiness depend on circumstances around me or does it, does it depend on the fact that my name is written in the book of life? And no matter what happens, when I die and my eyes close and then they open a second later, I will behold the face of God, the face of my Savior. And he's not going to be frowning saying, what in the world are you doing here? Right? <laughs> He's going to be like, you've made it. Welcome home. Is that, is that your future? God gives it to all those who believe. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, these four strange events. The curtain being torn in two. The, the earthquake that, that shook the ground. the dead being raised and coming out of their tombs. But then finally, the wicked human heart believing 
We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you that you didn't just leave us forgiven and yet far from you, but that you, you sent our sins away. You, you blew them away from us like a, like a child blowing on a dandelion. They just they vanish. They are forgotten. But we needed more. And we thank you that you give it to us in Christ. His perfect righteousness is ours. See what kind of, of love the Father has given to us that we, John says, that we could be called the children of God. And that is what we are. What an amazing thing. Anyone anywhere in the world can believe The poorest of the poor, the richest of the rich, old, young, sick, healthy, slave, free, American, Asian, African, European, whatever. Anyone anywhere can say, yes, I want what God is holding out to me in Christ. And they can have it. If they say, I am a sinner in need of of forgiveness and righteousness. Coming to God with empty hands, with nothing, they can receive all the goodness that you have for them. They can be at peace with you. Father, we pray that that this realization would change our lives. That that for those who've who've never heard this or never believed it before, perhaps uh, a child who's been attending this church forever in their Estimation, perhaps uh, an, an adult who just keeps coming and is like, what, it, what is this that they keep talking about? Perhaps somebody who's visiting for the very first time is believing this morning. Father, I pray that you would draw them, root them and ground them in Christ and, and let them know all the good that they have because of his death for them and his resurrection. And Father, for the rest, for the believers... We can become so depressed because of the, the circumstances of our lives at times or because of the headlines or because of the economy or because of our, our work life or, or because everything's not perfect with the way that our children are behaving or all those things can be so difficult, stressful. But we pray that, that you would make them pale in the light of the goodness of what you've done for us in Jesus. May we delight, celebrate the fact that we have peace with God because of the resurrection of Jesus. We were dead in our tombs spiritually. You cracked open, Lord Jesus, the the stone that held us in that we might come out after your resurrection. We thank you that we who believe, those who put their faith and trust in Christ, can know that that we will close our eyes in this life and open our eyes in the next and see you smiling. We thank you for that. We pray we live in the good of that all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song.